was that again? Yes, thank God almighty, we are free at last, or at least partially here in Melbourne, Victoria, home of The Way It Is, the official Bobby Galinsky podcast. I am one official mofo, Bobby Galinsky, and it is episode 32, and it is the 30th of October, Halloween Eve. And uh, yeah. The, uh, the Dark Overlord, after 120 days, roughly, after almost four months, after really about seven months, because we were locked down earlier, has let us go out for a little longer drive and some niceties and food and shopping and things like that. And fucking A, it's good to be out. It is really good to be out. And uh, I'm talking happy because we've... Uh, had a day in the city and a day out doing a little bit of shopping and eating and having other people cook our food and bring it to us, which is the way it should be. Frankly, I'm a bit tired of cooking and cleaning and uh, and that. And we're going to be nice in the first 10 minutes of the podcast because it's been said that I often open the podcast complaining about something. Um, so I'm going to take that on board. Um, I am going to take that on board. So uh, we're just going to welcome you. And we're going to talk about what's happening today. And then, boy, are we going to bitch and moan towards the end and call people out and just vilify people. But we're happy. We are happy. I've got uh, a lot to talk about. In fact, I have so much to talk about. I had like four sheets of my uh, outline, which is Excel and Word. Uh, I put it in Excel because it's organized, but then it's hard to really read it from Excel, so I print it out in Word because it's more like a script that way, and as a writer, it's a bit more sequential for me. That Excel, that Excel thing, it's great for organization, but it is not good for a uh, quick mind unraveling into Word and verbiage, so to speak. Maybe you might find that. Maybe some of you think, oh, no, Excel is your preferred way of organizing your, your life. Uh, mine is basically on the back of a cocktail napkin. That's, that's my favorite thing. Haven't had any of those in a while, but we'll be catching up on that. So had a beautiful walk this morning. And uh, because there was a little bit of freedom out there, saw some people we hadn't seen in a while. Um, didn't see Flea Man, though. Flea Man. Flea Man is the fastest man on the beach going down from St. Kilda to Elwood to Brighton down towards Hampton, wherever wherever we walk along Bayside. Flea Man can only be described, and I hope he's listening to this because we've never met him. He's one of the people that uh, like to meet on the beach. He is one fast motherfucker. He, uh, he is fast. We can't tell how old he is. He could be an old guy that stays fit and is young or just a middle-aged guy or whatever, but he's always going so fast, you never can get a good glimpse of him. However, however, after all these years, the other day, he kind of gave us a nod as we went past the other day. So I think could be on the verge of meeting Flea Man. If you remember early episodes, uh, it's a very big deal for us to, you know, see our friends going to and fro on the beach on our hour and a half walk in the morning, which um, was just under an hour today. 
because of inclement weather and or otherwise juvenile la laziness. I'm not really sure, but we just wanted to get back and have some breakfast. But you see the same people coming and going. And there's also kind of the protocol uh, of the people that don't move aside, give you a little bit of room when you're two abreast, or people that are walking three abreast or four abreast that don't let two go past. Sorry, ladies, women are the guilty of this, the most guilty. Women are the recidivists. They just don't like to break up their threesomes and foursomes to let anybody walk past. And there's the part of me that just wants to give one of them the shoulder, just a, a big you know, shoulder smack, like a linebacker in football, teach them a lesson. But, you know, maybe I'm too old for that. Maybe that would be considered misogynist. I would do it to a guy, though, if I felt that uh, they were encroaching enough. But, you know, you got to try and share on the sidewalk. But you see the same people and you nod. Some people, they wave. Some nod. Some say, good day, mate. Good day. Some say, hello. Hello. But then there's always the weird thing when you turn around after, you know, 45 minutes or an hour and you walk back and you see them again, you know, do you say hi again? Do you, or do you just kind of wink, kind of give a little nod? It's kind of weird. I don't like to go past them on the way back without at least acknowledge them somehow because that I feel rude, but I think it's also too over the top to say hello again. It's a tough one. I don't know really what is the correct protocol. For that, but um, I got a feeling that we're gonna meet Flea Man one day. My wife doesn't think so. She thinks he's too fast. He won't stop. But uh, we live in hope. And uh, strangely enough, just a little thing I noticed is I always put just a spray of cologne on before I go out on the walk in the morning. And I guess it's because there are some people that we walk past that either have way too much cologne on, like they're going to, you know. Lebanese meth nightclub at four in the morning in Western Sydney, or they don't have any cologne on and have not bathed in days, which um, makes them smell like an Uber driver who does a third shift at an Indian restaurant in Bhopal and makes the trip back just for the walk. And it's like, oh, <laughs> whoa, but uh, it's nice to smell nice. I like Tom Ford Black Orchid, in case you wondered. It's a unisex cologne, and uh, it's just got hints of bergamot. And very, it's a very violet-smelling thing. It smells like violets a bit. I like it. It's not too feminine. It's not too overly masculine. Just kind of me. It's nice to smell nice on a walk. So, if you're out walking, make sure you smell nice. Now... It is Friday. It is the 30th. And it's nearly the full moon, nearly Halloween. Halloween, I miss so much from the U.S. The trick-or-treating, the costumes, um, just the absolute mania and magic of the night of the dead. But we don't really celebrate that here. And we don't live in a place where... You know, we've got frontage like a traditional house where we can put pumpkins out and jack-o'-lanterns and things and razor blades and the candy. No, just kidding. That's, you know, that's, that's, that always used to be the thing when we were kids. The, the parents would go, make sure the candy's wrapped because it could have razor blades in it. I don't think anybody actually ever put razor blades or pins in candy until I was about maybe 10 or 12. And then 
in Sioux City. I do remember a couple of kids that got um, nailed, so to speak, and they had to take their candy up to the um, St. Luke's Hospital and get it x-rayed, and they swallowed something horrible. And then it was, that would have been about 1965, and that's, I guess, when the world changed. The world changed when people suddenly decided to put dangerous things in Halloween candy. I mean, that 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 is the most horrific sacrilege. That That's worse than Catholic priests interfering with, with altar boys, um, because that's been going on for thousands of years, and that's just to be expected in some places, as horrific as it is. Putting, just kidding, well, not really, but putting dangerous things in candy to give to children is a non-denominational, horrible, horrible thing. It's, it's just the worst. It's just the worst. And the next step after that is like, you know, whatever's on Hunter Biden's laptop, which, you know, images that uh, I think we're going to see pretty soon. Being on a more happier note, I hope some of you in areas where you're allowed to trick-or-treat get some seriously good candy because it's these years of collecting good candy as a child that will build those powerful habits of diet for years to come. And I do miss candy corn the most. They don't do good candy corn here in Australia. Got to get it at the American food store. In fact, as you remind me, I may just have to make a trip there tomorrow morning, which is about a half an hour from here. And it's worth stuff that normally costs $2 in the States, costs $20 here. But, you know, such such is the struggle. A luta continua. The struggle continues. Well, I hope you've had a pretty epic week. In the world, we have a new Supreme Court justice, a brilliant genius woman, Amy Coney Barrett, who was sworn in on Monday night in the U.S., Tuesday lunchtime here, without a too much opposition, some opposition, and um, so nice to have another female judge to replace the amazing female judge, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away. And this chick is young, so she should last a while. She should last a while. And uh, we're going to talk about robot dolphins shortly, because when you got up this morning, I know you were thinking, What's he going to talk about in science bitches? And I'll bet you didn't think robot dolphins. We have an amazing interview. Hendrix is back. Jimi Hendrix? No, not Jimi Hendrix. We got even a better Hendrix. We got Mark Hendrix, a musician who has traveled a long, long road for over 40 years since his adolescence, and is now about to have a breakout album. That is the best thing since Oasis. If you love Oasis, you're going to love this style of music. Amazing songwriting, great musicianship, and uh, haunting lyrics, haunting. Uh, if you don't like Oasis, well, you might not like him, because music is subjective. And uh, the interview uh, took place, pre-recorded, uh, a few days ago with him in Florida in the U.S. And uh, it's a very revealing journey of a guy who's uh, pursued a dream for over four decades and uh, has gone against the naysayers who say, you're too old, you're too old, you're too old, give it up, 
give it up, give it up. Never give up. Never give up. Never look down. Famous words of the flying Wallendas, Carl Wallenda, when he was interviewed before his death, asked, how do you, how do you get across those tightrope, tight ropes between buildings, you know, when it's like a million feet down and the wind is swirling and, you, you know, most people would look down and go, ah, and get sucked off the rope. And he goes, you never look down. And that's always been my motto as a writer and producer and in any goal, uh, in sales and anything, never look down. It's not the fourth quarter until it's the last second of the fourth quarter. And then there's still one second left. Only look at your goal. So we've got a very extensive conversation with him. And uh, we're going to hear one of the songs off the new album that debuts next week. And I think you're going to be in for an amazing treat of uh, a guy that's been through a lot. And uh, reminds me of Van Gogh. Van Gogh never hit it big until right near his death. He sold one painting in his lifetime. But um, he did quit because Van Gogh shot himself in the chest when he was 37, which is really bad for your career. And, um, you know, his brother, brother kept the faith alive. Theo lasted another six months. Theo Van Gogh got the paintings out there. And of course, one of his paintings sold for $142 million. But um, Vincent didn't get the benefit of that. And we're going to talk about chlorofluorocarbons and halon. Do you know what halon is? You should, because there's some great stories there. We're going to talk about seven supporting actors going for Oscars from one film, we're going to talk about a loss in the music world of uh, a fantastic keyboard player and songwriter who just passed away this week. And uh, we are going to talk about a couple of amazing movies and series that uh, have crossed crossed our TV, crossed our 200-inch mega, 8-meg, 40K, high-def, neuron-specific fusion hydrogen television that we have uh, over the fireplace that is just just about the next best thing to being in the cinema but not quite it's not that shared experience and uh, we're going to talk about guitars we're going to talk about crystal we're going to talk not crystal meth crystal you know like nice crystal like your mom would normally have but it's groovy now for this generation if we get around to it and we are going to talk about the hottest clothing. Talked about it years ago. And by years ago, I mean probably about in episode four or five. Virgil Abloh, remember him? He's back. And he's on my back. So fasten your seatbelts, get ready, and let's go back into the past. On today in... History. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. My firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is. 
Oh, nothing to fear except fear itself. I don't fear fear. I don't fear too much. Actually, sometimes I do. I wake up screaming sometimes. I guess my only real fear is being, you know, kidnapped and drugged and, you know, waking up in a strange place like in some Romanian film, you know, or like President Lincoln when he was kidnapped and drugged and given Rohypnol, which which not a lot of people know about. That was uh, in 1860. Very little known fact. Even the Lincoln Project wouldn't know that. And uh, he woke up after a three-day bender, absolutely wiped out, naked, woke up on the floor. Mary Lincoln standing over the president. And remember his famous, famous words to her as he bolted upright, said, I freed what? And that's how it all started. But really, on this day in history, in 1899, the Battle of Ladysmith, Natal Boers defeat the British, leading to the siege of Ladysmith. In 1905, the October Manifesto, Russian Tsar Nicholas II grants civil liberties and accepts the first Duma parliament. 1917, do you know about this one? British government gives final approval to the Balfour Declaration. And if you don't know what the Balfour Declaration was, it was when British conservative politician Arthur James Balfour, who was prime minister from 1902 to 1905, as foreign secretary, he had become famous for writing the Balfour Declaration which proclaimed support for a Jewish state in Palestine. But it took until 1948 for that to happen. And there is no Palestine. Sorry, Palestinians. Palestinians, oh my God. The COVID-19 of people, oh my God. Anyway, now I know two good ones. 1973, the Bosphorus Bridge in Istanbul, Turkey is completed connecting the continents of Europe and Asia over the Bosphorus for the very first time. Now, what about in film and TV? 1921, The Sheik, a silent film with Rudolph Valentino, premiered in Los Angeles. And in sport, on this day in 1974, Rumble in the Jungle, Muhammad Ali KOs George Foreman in the eighth round in Kinshasa, Zaire, regaining the world heavyweight boxing title with his famous rope-a-doke, 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 rope-a-dope tactic, which I saw live, not in Kinshasa, but on pay-per-view. And on this date, in 1961, the Soviet Union tested a 58-megaton hydrogen bomb named Zarbomba, the most powerful nuclear weapon ever detonated. I wish they'd done it at the CNN building. If they had done it at the CNN building, I would have been proud. Some big birthdays. Christopher Columbus, take his statues down. Ezra Pound, fantastic poet. Hand of God, Diego Maradona, and Ivanka Trump. And famous weddings on this day in 1613, astronomer Johann Kepler... We've spoken about him before, married his second wife, Susanna Reutinger. I guess you could say, love was in the stars. Oh, 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 oh. oh, yes. And 
on this date in 1938 when Orson Welles decided to present his War of the World story in a radio newscast format. His broadcast on this day apparently caused widespread panic across the United States. Actually, that's true because my mom, who was barely 18 at the time, living in New York, she and her mom, were abs- my grandmother, were absolutely freak shit, deep star six, panicked and closed up all the windows and turned off all the lights because they thought Martians were coming. The Jews thought Martians were coming. They didn't worry about, you know, Hitler. No, that'll work out, be fine. They're worried about Martians. And that is a slightly abbreviated today in history. Okay, and uh, now comes time to the show that we have... um, a very special guest, and we have had some extremely erudite, unique, and super talented people, and it just keeps getting better. And I uh, am talking to Florida in the United States, to uh, Hobe Sound, which is a little north of Jupiter, Florida. And if uh, you know Jupiter Beach, it's because you know that that's where Burt Reynolds lived. Although um, the difference between this guy and Burt Reynolds is he has even more talent, and two, he's alive. Um, so I am speaking with Mark Hendricks. Mark, good afternoon or good evening there, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Bobby. Just very honored to be on your uh, podcast here on the show, and uh, just thrilled to be part of it. Well, very honored to have you on. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we met about 32 years ago this week when I walked into a bar in Buckhead, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, we uh, started up a conversation. And um, there's been many years uh, of void between contact uh, from time to time, but uh, being on the phone with you here today on Zenka, it's, 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 it's like, where did those 32 years go? Exactly. Back when I was a bartender, right? You were, and I was a uh, a customer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Atlanta's only 14-year-old bartender. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought the 14-year-olds were at the bar, as Prince Andrew would say. But, oh, well, um, yeah, Biden's got some issues with that, too, right now. I've heard uh, Hunter. Yes, exactly. I mean, we're not using Hunter's laptop for this, for this interview, fortunately. But yeah, we are going to be giving it away. We're going to give it away on, on eBay later. Now, give the audience a little bit of uh, background here. I, I met uh, Mark 32 years ago, and uh, we were both in the entertainment industry and um, both had gigs on the side. And Mark, pretty much you, you, we had a bit of divergence there. I went towards film and you went towards music, and you have had um, a music career that's taken you to both coasts in Chicago um, family in Chicago and uh, a journey there and then down to Florida. Why don't you t- tell tell the listeners a little bit about where you've been and where you're going and um, I'll give you a preview. The, it, there is an album coming out shortly, a couple of weeks, and I've heard some of the music and you're going to be on the verge of hearing some of the best, best new music uh, since Oasis, if I'm going to compare to a, a simpler sound uh, and a similar sound, but um, I'm setting a high bar for you, Mark. So go ahead. 
Appreciate that, Bobby. Um, yeah, I'll give you the short version. Um, lived in LA for a while. You and I got together there a couple of times uh, over the film business. I majored in film in school, thought I was going to be an actor, um, decided after watching Sean Penn live in a Hollywood theater with Danny Aiello in uh, Hurley Burley, uh, I decided that wasn't the career for me. And it just, you know, finally dawned on me that this is a, this is a tough one, you know, road to hoe and uh, made my way back to Atlanta. Um, you know, picked up the guitar again uh, after buying my first one when I was around 10 and just messed around with music as a kid on and off. But it always was my passion. And um, my first memory, I think, was musical, listening to the Beatles on my parents' hi-fi, you know, in stereo, A Hard Day's Night. When that album came out, I was probably five years old. And, you know, with my brothers standing next to that hi-fi dancing and singing that. And, uh, you know, music's always just been my, I think, my first love. And I feel, you know, later in life, I'm kind of a late bloomer, uh, you know, gave up the acting when I was in my late 20s. I, you know, was still tending bar and tending bar in Atlanta when I met you and um, trying to finish my degree in film. But I, I just really got focused on really playing that guitar and started songwriting, um, made my way up to Chicago. I wanted to be in a more urban kind of setting with more diversity and moved up there from Atlanta in 93, um, started doing open mics, writing songs, uh, got in a band. Um, we did covers and some originals, but when I got started, it was mostly covers doing like, you know, Stone Temple Pilot type stuff, Pearl yep. Jam, whatever, all the great stuff, some Zeppelin and all. Um, and just kept writing. Um, Wound up getting married, thank God, and had a son and got into the whole family thing um, and kind of backed off the music a little bit, um, you know, trying to be a, a, a father and a great husband and was just focused on the family thing. But just kept, you know, I kept playing and playing out some in Chicago in the clubs, made my way into the double door, you know, some um, epic really you know classic venues up there i was lucky enough to play in with my original stuff and just kept rotating through guys trying to keep bands together and you know typical um you know kind of indie stuff uh kept the songwriting going and then got into a little bit of uh, licensing a friend of mine got my songs loaded into a music dealer's uh site you know for sync licensing I wound up getting a couple of things on national TV shows and, you know, there was a little money in that. And then, you know, the check comes in the mail. That's pretty exciting. You actually get paid. And, um, you know, you hear your song on the, when the show's on and whatnot. I Absolutely. Had a national Absolutely. You know, 90210 was one of them. And, and then I got option for a film. Um, so long story short, I just, you know, I knew I had, had something in it. Um, I felt I had, you know, some talent uh, for it and just kept grinding uh, the songs and wound up, uh, well, to fast forward, uh, wife kind of decided she wanted to be single a couple of years ago. And, uh, so we kind of parted our ways and, uh, my son went off to college and it just, you know, kickstarted my songwriting again through the, you know, just the, I guess the pain of, 
of separation and then divorce. And um, I coveted really having a family. That was the most important thing in my life after having grown up, not a real conventional family. And that's a whole nother story. But yeah. um, anyway, it just poured gasoline on the fire on the, the songwriting thing. I just, you know, had some time by myself, grabbed my guitar, started writing. I wrote a song called Remember the Love. It's going to be my first, uh, well, it won't be the first release, but it's actually going to be the title of the album. It was the first song out of the divorce. Um, real proud of the tune. I haven't had it out there much. I think I've got it on SoundCloud right now, but um, it's not on my Spotify. It hasn't gone out on the digital platforms, but it will be out in about four or five weeks. So I started with that song and wrote another one. Um, it's called uh, She Don't Understand. And I, I actually reached out finally, Bobby, to Adele through Instagram because she's going to be on Saturday Night Live tonight. I'm going to be sure to watch that later. But, um, you know, you never know. So I, I just sent it out there. You know, Adele, I think you're the greatest singer on the planet. Uh, you know, she's definitely one of my favorites. And it's a song that I think she can just knock out of the park and go global with. So you know, I'm, I'm going to really, uh, you know, crank up the promotion on this, on the album. I just did a photo shoot yesterday so i'm going to try to do a little bit you know more um i guess you know branding of my my whole thing i've always used monikers in the past one machine um and other band names but basically it's been one machine for years so i'm finally yep. after being really reluctant to use my last name which is hendrix for you know <laughs> reasons yeah. that are obvious having jimmy uh with his stature and all I would that have definitely said that you were a love child of his with um <laughs> you know uh, uh a caucasian girl and tried to get money from the estate and also um you know build a career on it it didn't work very well for sean lennon but it could work for you no <laughs> no no exactly that might have helped but yeah no relation other than the you know that that classic name that Jimmy left for us, the legacy, but mine's YX. So, you know, I finally got over that over the last year or whatever, thinking about how to put this music out. I'm, I really believe in my songs that are written from my heart and I'm going to get them out there. So um, I went ahead That's with the name. Epic. Yeah. It's, I mean, they say the good, the good stuff comes from when you're in a tough spot or painful times and, you know, I just, it does. I, I guess it I does. You don't, you don't see, that, you never hear somebody say, you know, my life was absolutely perfect. Um, I was a multimillionaire. I had the best marriage in the world. Everything was perfect. Wow. And, yeah. uh, I thought, fuck, I'll start writing some songs. No, the, the, you know, the, this isn't about me. This is about you, but the best work my writing has come when, you know, very challenging times where you just you do got to exercise it you ex exorcise it for those not listening right and 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 get it out and uh this this isn't the blow smoke up uh, your skirt as they say in australia but when i met mark um at the bar we'd come back to um i was living at the ritz carlton in buckhead at the time which was um not ridiculous shabby. yeah which was ridiculously good thank you walt disney for that um six weeks which turned into six months on the expense account and um we'd come over and you know we'd jam a little bit and um then uh in los angeles at uh uh my place and mark was a ridiculously good guitar player and a ridiculously good singer and i i even said i said man you this 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 is for you this is for you and then i think it was quite a few years later i think it was probably about 
maybe 90, somewhere between 91 and 94, um, I flew to Chicago because I had a meeting with some film investors. You and I went out to Shaw's Crab House. And then the next day, it was like the most pristine, beautiful, all-time amazing Chicago day. We went out on your boat on Lake Michigan. Oh, that's Uh, right. One of the the ten best days of my life, and this my is before Donzi. Yeah, yes, the Donzi. Oh my God, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was very jealous. Um, jealousy oh, is a awesome. great trait, and I said, "Oh, this is it." This, and I thought, "Wow, you know." Um, and um, I was between projects and was was struggling quite a bit, and I thought, "Wow, this." This this look great, but I would say, wow, you got to pursue that music. You got to pursue that music. Not that I'm a Nostradamus, but then when you sent me an EP um, several right. years later, yeah, and it was like, and and there's no there's no commercial agenda here, folks, on this show. Whether it's you know clothing, food, music, whatever, this is just from the heart. It's like, my God, this guy is you know now in his forties, yeah. and he's got to get this music out. There's some people, you know, they have the hit when they're twenty. And maybe they have a long career or they have the hit when they're 20 and maybe that's all they ever do. And then there's some people that take a long time to find that fulcrum where it goes to creativity from life experience. And um, the songs that you sent me in in the the video, uh, it's just like, first thing I thought is that's kind of the feeling I got when I first heard oasis and that's that's one of the 10 best feelings that hard days night you go back to that's the first record i ever listened to that my brother brought that that blew my mind um oasis and um you know it's it's good it's it's not happy music but it makes you feel happy from the angst in it and i think that people will connect not only with the music but the journey that you've had that you're not you know some 22 year old, you know, yeah. um, you know, throwing out rubbish out there, the lyrics, the music and everything. Um, and, uh, I, I'm, I've got really high hopes for it. And I think people are going to connect with the journey, the story, the lyrics, and of course, the bottom line, flipping it on, um, in the car or, you know, on the rollerblades or, wherever and go, wow, this, this is a great discovery. I like, I like feeling I've discovered things or people turn them on in the early stage. I'm an early adopter. And, uh, I I think it's, it's going to be a, a real great experience for you professionally. Well, I appreciate that incredible endorsement. Um, hopefully I can live up to it. What was the hardest part of putting this album together? Um, I guess part of it was, definitely the COVID thing came in and I thought, Oh, I'm going to release this thing. Cause I started writing it about a year and a half ago yeah. and I had like eight months worth of work in it. And then I had, I think eight songs or nine, eight tunes done. I was like, I'll get another song or so and maybe do a remix on an older one and put the album out and then COVID hit. So my producers in Chicago and I do some recording down here, but we had to do everything remotely as a lot of artists are doing these days. Yep. And so I would like sing tracks down here or do rhythm tracks with a drummer or down here, try to do what I could and then send that stuff up to my producer. And he's a master, uh, Chuck K wall. He actually teaches music up there at Columbia in Chicago. And I've, I've done re- stuff with him for 20 some years. 
but uh, just getting that back and forth because of the COVID thing. And then, um, you know, just delaying the release, which is frustrating because you want to, the whole goal of this music thing, you do it because you love it, but you want to share it. You know, you want people to hear what the hell you're doing. Even if it's at a little coffee house or something live. Or you want it on the radio, or just anything, any medium. It doesn't count until someone hears it or sees it, as until they say. You shared it, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Until they've heard it, um, and you know, I'm not 20, let alone 40. You know, now that as the years fly by, uh, you know, 61, and you know, when I'm out and about, I, you know, people say, "What do you do?" And I go, "Well, I play a little golf and I write songs." And uh, I think some of them, you know, half of them think I'm crazy, but um, I'll tell you, if you never quit, and I I never will, because I love what I do, and it can happen at any time in your life, I think, if you just have the focus and you love what you're doing, and it's kind of a cliche, but it's so true. Um, like Leonard Cohen, you know, wrote some of his best stuff in his 50s. 100%. Um, 100%. Um, you know, uh, Bill Withers you know, one of my favorite artists at the very top of, of, of I think, of great songwriters, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. I yep. Mean, yep. How, nobody ever put it better than that man. And he, he didn't start writing until he was 30. And then Bill kind Morgan of just... Freeman, Morgan Freeman, you know, got out of, you know, the gutter from alcoholism and, and you know, the electric company when, when he was in his 50s. His career really didn't start till he was in his 50s and he turned his, his life around. And to me, it's all that that life experience. Um, you know, I'm happy to go see a band, you know, like when Arctic Monkeys started and they're all, you know, kids in their teens and low 20s and, and see that and say, oh, wow, they yeah. could be around a long time. But I'd also rather see someone that, is is bringing the gravity and the lines and the face on on their on their music, and that must have freaked you out when you did like the open mic nights in Chicago. Because um, what was that like? Was it was it scary? scary. Was it exciting? Oh yeah, scary. I mean, when I was first doing them, and I did I don't know all year, and then I started getting these bands, but I I did them every night I could. And they had a place called Weeds. It was kind of a legendary bar. It's probably not there anymore. But uh, oh, everything in Chicago is gone. It's been burned down by BLM. Uh, but that's okay. My city, <laughs> oh, breaks my heart. It'll come back. But anyway, that that Weeds. They would run the open mics on Saturday nights, biggest night of the week, busiest, jam packed, and you're up there with a the stool. It's a lot like stand up. You know, they give you two or th- they give you three songs in there. And you just go in there and do it. You've, we wow. call it that's, pre- sheep, that's pressure. Sheep to slaughter night, we called it. But, you, you know, you cut your teeth. And I wanted to mention something about the age. You brought that up, Bobby, which I really appreciate. Is, you know, part of me is like, okay, you know, people think you're nuts. You're trying to do rock and roll. Rock and roll's dead. I don't believe that. But it's a tough genre right now. Because hip hop dominates everything in rap, you know that's what yep. the kids listen to. And frankly, I think most of it's garbage, but it is what it is. Yep. And, the, and the digital thing has made things difficult for artists in a lot of ways. It's also brought some advantages, and then a guy like me can get on a platform that's called a wall artist without a label, and they, they put me on two hundred digital platforms worldwide, and they collect royalties. So if I get enough streams, 
you know, you get a, a hot song out there, you can actually make a little money. So that that's great. But the, the age thing, I was like, how do you deal with that? You know, people think you're nuts. You're trying to write, write a rock and roll album. You're 60 years old. And I think, you know, in the end, it's like exploit it. And the kids will respond to that. If you've got real songs that actually have some lyrical content, I think, and if the melodies are good and the songs, of course, the music's got to be good. The songs have to be good. Yeah. Again. But use that and say, you know, I, I even think younger people would say, hell, that's so fucking cool. This guy never quit. You know, he's got an 18 year old kid at college and he's pursuing the dream of his life to get his music out there and shared. That, and he's been doing it for 30 years, but he never really had to break. Yeah. That's that the is story. the hook. Yeah, that's that is the story. You, yeah, some people you say, "Oh, that's that's the the drawback." No, right. that that is the hook. Um, I think so. The, the three breaks I had, I I the first film major film project I got was being sent um, a book for a rewrite from a book that I'd purchased at an airport when I was having a screaming argument with someone, and so I was familiar with the book, and it was serendipitous. I was in a you know, a, a lobby at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, more than intoxicated, going up the elevator and ran into Jeff Bridges in the elevator, who was like my all-time icon, who we wanted to cast on a project. Pitched him in the elevator, and he got a call from his agent the next day, which opened up um, dialogue on the project, which never happened. But in, neither neither here nor there, you 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 put these things as, oh, I could never talk to Jeff Bridges, or I could never talk to Adele. Well, Adele needs songs. And you might think, well, why would she listen to you? She needs your songs. 90210 needed your song. And it's it's not about the age. It's about the story. And at the end, it's about the product. If you've got a killer song, it doesn't matter if you're 90 or 9. I don't and, think so. Yeah. Um, and if you've got a story, people will come listen and give you a shot that they might not give anyone else run of the mill because – Cause you're unique. You're a unicorn. That's, that's your superpower. You've got life experience. I agree. You know, I'm not going to hide that. I'm not hiding the name anymore. So yeah. Yeah. Just, you don't have my looks. If you had my looks, you, you'd have a 90, well, 90 record deal. A but, yeah. <laughs> had your hair, it would help. yeah. You had my looks after a, after an industrial accident, but um, no, but uh, Mark's a good looking guy. I can vouch for it. Much better look, good looking than me. And a uh, bit oh, of a no, brown. You're too kind. You're too kind. No, yeah. there's a lot so when's the, more lines in my face now than, than when I last saw you, Bobby. Um, it's coming out. I would say, I'm waiting on the final artwork. So you also mentioned, you know, aging and whatever and lines on your face type thing. So I did a photo shoot yesterday and I'll leave it at this. It went great. The guy's a Brooklyn photographer down here in Jupiter. We got along well. The first few photos, I'm like, oh my God, he looked like you're out drinking last night. But huh. he, got, he, got, <laughs> he got the lights right. And, um, and then they do, you know, some post stuff in there real quick. He goes, here's how this looks in black and white. We narrowed it down. And at first I'm like, oh my God, dude, you're getting old, you know? And a, a long, long time ago, I did some modeling, whatever. So I used to be able to take a pretty good picture. Uh, back in Atlanta, I did stuff for Coca-Cola and all that. I was always too short to do a lot of modeling, but I did a little. Anyway, looking at this, that picture, you know, yesterday, I'm like, all right, you know, you've aged, so what? And the lines are there, great, whatever. 
And we did it in a high contrast black and white. And I said, that's the cover, dude. Put it out. That's it. You just put your name across the top. Remember the love title. And the plan is once we load it onto AWOL, which should be within a week, it'll be about four weeks. It'll be out on uh, Amazon Prime, you know, or whatever, Amazon Music, Pandora, Apple Music. All the all the digital platforms that they think that are out there virtually, AWOL does that for us. So, what kind of equipment are you using? What kind of guitars are you playing these days? Uh, that's a great question. Now you've got some nice guitars, Bobby. You, you have one that I I want. We have to talk about that sometime. But I've got okay. a uh, my favorite guitar is a Gibson SJ two hundred acoustic jumbo. So if you ever see the Edge, or you can go to Elvis or any of the real big guns, Noel Gallagher, whatever, all those guys, yep. if they're on an acoustic, chances are they're on an SJ-200. Fantastic. Yeah, same guitar Elvis played. Classic. So I bought one, I think it was back when the Obama administration was going after Gibson for their abuse of certain types of woods or something that they were doing, you know, trees yep. or whatever. And I go, I'm going to go buy a Gibson right now while I can. You know, they they were looking at maybe trying to shut them down or something. I think they got they got through it, but that's when I bought that. And I have a Gibson Les Paul. It's about a 1993 or 95 or something because I, my basement flooded out in Chicago and, and took my first custom Les Paul. You know, it was oh. taken oh. out in the basement, and it was the second flood that we had in that house. And I looked down the stairwell. That second time I flipped the basement light on, looked down, and my guild was on its back. My guild 12-string. Oh, my God. Floating like a canoe down there in the basement. So I said, yeah. it's time to sell the house. But I got such a conundrum. You go down the basement, and your kid and your guitars are floating. Well, you know your kid can hold his breath, but you got to get that fucking guitar. Uh, well, I almost well, almost lost a sister-in-law down there on the first one. So she was down there on the futon, and that water comes up so fast under the streets. You know, that's where it, it backs up in the streets, so it came up the drain through the carpet. And my, my sister-in-law, you know, she likes to party, whatever. I think she was out that night, and, you know, before she knew it, that, 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 there was probably a foot of water, and she stepped wow. out of bed, you know. And just literally woke up, you know, and then just put her feet out on the side of the futon and stood up and she was a foot deep in water. She wow. called, me, called me in my office and like, I think there's a problem here. But anyway, that those are my two main go-to axes. And then I just bought a um, an Epiphone, uh, Gibson Epiphone uh, Casino. And I bought that because that's what the Beatles played. And uh, oh, I know what, you know what color, what color did you get? Sunburst, the classic Sweet. Beatles. It's, it's God had that guitar. I didn't get one of the vintage, you know, I bought a new reissue. So they're made in, actually in China, but they do a, you know, pretty darn good job building them. And Excellent. I've been playing with it. It plays really good. Excellent. You have a white Gretsch that I need. The white Gretsch. Semi hollow body. The, uh, the white Falcon semi hollow with the gold. Nasty. Pickup. And it's the one that's made in Japan, and it is just lethal. It is lethal. Wicked. I need that guitar. We'll have to talk. (laughs) Well, we'll have to play. Hopefully, you'll visit Australia one day. Or uh, Or we'll meet um, in Italy. You'll be on tour. You'll be on tour. Let's hope so. We've got a little bit of a a time constraint, so I'm going to have to bring it up. Now, what we're going to do for listeners, we're going to play the uh, single-off Mark, the first single off Mark's album at the uh, at the end of the show is the uh, outro music, so you get a chance to hear it here first, 
and that's one day, right, Bobby? One day? Yep, one day. That's the song uh, about COVID. Yep. Yep, fantastic. And this last thing, if you had to name three bands that are out right now that you really do like, what's music that's evocative of it? We know what you don't like, which is the same as me. Anybody doing anything now that you think is impressive? Current artists? Yeah. Um, Well, Greta Van Fleet. Um, I saw them in Miami, uh, I don't know, a year and a half ago before all this crap happened and the year from hell started. But they were amazing. They sound a lot like Zeppelin, but they're an incredible rock band. Kids just killing it. Um, I like her, H-E-R. Yeah, I know them. Grammy. I know them. Yeah, really solid, I think. Um, let me think. Who else? Uh, current, you know, lately... Um, trying to think if there's anybody else out there. Port- Portugal, the man, has that really hip tune that was a big hit maybe a year ago. Portugal, the man, was cool, but... I've been lately. I've been listening to Mark Lanigan, Bobby, because you mentioned that book, which I read. Yeah, I, I couldn't put it down. Wonderful. I was really, really into the Seattle music. Thank God I didn't get into the lifestyle. But uh, that yeah, that's is, the book. Sing backwards and weep. Which from the first line of the book, you cannot put down. No, yeah, couldn't put it down. And th- those guys influenced what I was doing. You know. 15 years ago, whatever. And, you know, the Oasis influence, and of course, Beatles and Stones and all. But um, the Seattle thing, I liked a lot of those bands, STP and all, you know, Pearl Jam, all of them, Alice in Chains. But Mark Lanigan, I've been lately listening because I read that book that you mentioned. The book was incredible. And uh, he got a sec- second lease on life. It's got a, I like, like the ending. And, um, but his solo stuff. He, really he got a ninth lease on life. But um, yeah. you've got you've got a new lease on life, yeah. and I'm going to implore everyone to have a listen to the the music at the end of of the show, and I'll have in the show notes um, where you can listen to Mark's stuff and and the uh, links and stuff, so that you can get get that music as soon as it comes out. It's Mark Hendricks, and um, with a Y X, great person, not just a great musician, a great person, and I predict great things um for you mark and um the only thing else that i'll say is don't forget to vote this coming week <laughs> <laughs> that is not going to happen <laughs> okay i will definitely be voting bobby you can count all on right. that all right we got to win to hear your voice and um, i'll keep you on the line after i uh hang up here so we can uh chat for a minute thanks so much for your generous time and your beautiful music my pleasure thanks for having me on the show bobby love you man cheers love you back thank you Whoa. And so that was the mighty Mark Hendricks, the white Hendricks. And uh, we're going to play that song towards the end of the show here. And uh, a great interview, a great guy, a great inspiration. And uh, that just about takes us. It does take us to the mighty theremin. the mighty theremin. Science! Science, bitches! 
Yes, you would be Nostradamus scientific type of wormhole neuron specific ramification of nanotechnological physics quirk expert Helen Masson. Yes, this one's for you. And as Flipper said, <coughs> meet the robotic dolphin that could end Marine Park captivity for good from CGTN, as told Thomas Wintle. Well, did you know robot, robot dolphins could end marine park captivity? Did you know the robotic dolphin made by animatronic specialists behind the 1990s Hollywood blockbuster Free Willy could help end marine park captivity for good? Well, the playful mechanical mammal designed by Edge Innovations cannot swim in aquariums and withstand close contact with humans withstand close contact. I'm not quite sure what that means. According to its developers, it's almost identical to a living animal. And I saw some video of it. And uh, the whole idea is a cruelty-free alternative to keeping live animals, which potentially can turn an often vilified industry on its head. We all know parks like SeaWorld and everything like that as uh, a result of the 2013 film Blackfish have just... And if you haven't seen Blackfish, which exposes the controversial living conditions of Tilikum and Orca at the U.S. Marine Park SeaWorld that was involved in the deaths of three people. If you haven't seen that, must see. But thanks in part to that, you know, these marine parks are just under, under huge heat. It's still surprising that there's 3,000 dolphins currently in captivity generating several billion dollars just for dolphin experiences, according to Walt Conti, the founder and CEO of the company behind the robot. So there's obviously an appetite to love dolphins, especially if you're Japanese and you want to eat them and torture them and kill them. But um, that's another film too, The Cove, about the Japanese dolphin cull, you know, Holocaust every year, which... I've got a lot of great Japanese friends, really close friends, and I love Japan. But the cove, the cove makes me think Hiroshima and Nagasaki needed to be repeated again, just in that one prefecture. But that could sound racist. Racist. And we're talking about dolphins who are always smiling and they aren't racist, are they, Flipper? So... If you want to design a show that uses real dolphins, you got to capture them, train them, and get them to do the show. But with creating robots, you have to do exactly the same thing, except you don't have to breed them or worry about safety. And their robotic animals have been seen in such oceanic hits as Deep Blue Sea and the Abyss. They don't come cheap, three million to five million each. But what I did get out of this is that I really miss my two Siamese cats, Oscar and Felix, the two greatest cats in the history of catdom. Oscar the Magnificent and Felix the Magic. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I can get these guys to build me a couple of robotic Siamese cats. They won't shit everywhere. They won't climb up the curtains. I can leave them and go on holiday and not have to worry about boarding them or feeding them. And... Uh, I think my wife would like a robotic Labrador puppy. She likes the puppies. She hates that they grow into, you know, dogs. I pretty much feel that way about young children, too. They, they're okay, but they grow into, you know, you know what. 
you know what. But um, I'm pretty enamored about this. The amazing thing is this could absolutely put that whole industry upside down on its head. And I love disruptors. I love people that come up with amazing things. And that, that is science. So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! Well, what is your podcaster wearing? It's um, it's a redux, it's a reprise, it's a revisit, it's a return to where we all began. One of the first reviews on this podcast was Virgil Abloh, the designer and creator of Off-White, who was also the chief creative designer for Louis Vuitton and... We've gone back to him today, and uh, as a little bit of a special occasion as our lockdown had ended, and because after being in lockdown um, off and on for the past, you know, eight months, and for being in solid lockdown for the past 120 days, um, and not being able to spend a dime or a penny at a restaurant or a bar or, um, you know, other than some takeout, no uh, hair, no nothing like that. Um, it was burning a bit of a hole in my little savings. And I thought, well, just got out of partial lockdown, out of prison. What would you do when you got out of prison? You'd get yourself a new coat. And as I was perusing the online shopping, thinking, well, I deserve a reward. Of course I do. How many years have I got left? I ordered myself a coat in a medium when I used to be a double XL, a medium in this new Virgil Ablo off-white black wool and cashmere full-length coat with the logo, the new logo with the hands and face staring at the sun on the back of the coat embroidered and also reprised on the cuff is absolutely astonishing. It's my reward to myself for getting through this lockdown without murdering someone or myself. And, uh, and no, no, I'm not uh, thanking the premier for letting us out. You, you don't thank your mugger for a ride home after uh, you've been mugged. So no thanks to, uh, to the he who will not even be named for that. Um, but we're free, partially, partially. And I have the new coat to go strutting around. And I can't wait till we're free to leave 25 kilometers, let alone leave the state, let alone leave the country, and then go strutting down New Bond Street in London or Fifth Avenue in New York, or Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, in this coat, and be the ultimate dandy, which, of course, I revel in. I love it. It's not something you can go out into the fields and get on the John Deere and do some threshing and harvesting, and it's not something that the wife says, hey, honey, put on the uh, off-white full-length coat. We've, we've got to lay manure in the garden, but it is very special. I'm very proud of it. And I thought I'd share it, which is a polite way of saying I'm going to show it off. Enjoy. Now, you know, if somebody's wearing something, they have to be drinking something. So what has your podcaster been drinking this past week? Well, I've gone bluish. Did you say Jewish? We know it. No, bluish. I have 
been going crazy on blue curacao. I've been making blue Hawaiian drinks with the blue curacao and rum and fresh pineapple juice and pineapple pieces and a maraschino cherry and the little umbrellas that we ordered online, the very first thing we ordered online during lockdown, which have come in very handy for my tropical. I've had blue tequila smashes, which is the Anejo Codigo tequila with the blue curacao and cream blended. Oh my God, drink four of those and drive through a school zone. Just kidding, only three. And of course, the blue sunrise blitz, which is vodka, Wibarova, or Stoli, or Grey Goose, and cranberry juice, and a slash of the Bucurosau, which turns the thing all purple. It's a very purple haze, purple haze kind of drink. I've just gone blue. Now, that has been reflected a couple of times when I've uh, had to go to the bathroom, and blue colors have filled the bowl, much like, uh, you know, a uh, duck bowl cleaner. Um, it's a strange thing. Blue Curacao, the dye, stays with you. Is that too much information or not enough? But it's way less devastating than um, one of my favorite drinks, which is carrot, celery, beetroot, and ginger. That's called a rosa. Carrot, celery, beetroot, and ginger. Lots of beetroot, lots of ginger. So great for the pancreas, so great for the kidneys. So great for the adrenal glands and the immune system, which is why I virtually never get sick. Forget Wu flu. I'm not even worried. But copious amounts of beetroot also tend to go through the body undiluted and leave a rather horrific color like you have been bleeding internally. Um, so uh, when it comes out blue, you just kind of stare at it and wonder. When it comes out bright red, uh, you either remember what you had for breakfast or you... Uh, Call 911-000-411-312 or, uh, you know, pound triple eight six two five eight square root of pi. Whatever you need to save yourself. And what the fox is that? It's the 21st century fox song we love so much. And the fox song, the fox song, what the fuck is that? It's a fox song. Always leads us into the entertainment section. Not that everything I do isn't some type of absolutely immense entertainment. And I've got to talk to you about immense entertainment. I've got to talk to you about something that is a lot better than checkers, and that is chess. And by chess, I mean the Queen's Gambit. And as Carolyn Framke, the reviewer for Variety, shared, and I'm going to paraphrase, the Queen's Gambit starring a magnetic Anya Taylor-Joy, anyone with a hyphenated name, Anya Taylor-Joy, is a shrewd study of genius. And you know what? It is genius. I'm... I'm an avid chess player. My grandfather used to be a chess player and taught my dad, and my dad was a fucking brutal chess player. I never beat him. Never beat him. It's something that haunts me to this day, although he's been dead for nine years. I suppose I could take a couple of pawns from him now. 
dig him up, prop him up, and put the chest set up there and say, all right, bud, it's time. But uh, in order to be a truly great chess player, not just a good one, but one of greats, you need to possess a canny combination of concentration, acuity, and nerve. What seems like a simple board of 64 squares quickly becomes a battlefield. The key to winning the ensuing fight is being able to analyze and anticipate an opponent's move without your face betraying a single calculation. Even more so than poker, chess is a mentally punishing esoteric game, which obviously makes it really hard to portray on screen with half the thrill it might have in reality. Now, you might have seen Searching for Bobby Fischer. You uh, might have seen The Taint of the Squares, uh, a couple of other chess-related films over the years that were very good, but not quite so riveting. However, the Queen's Gambit manages to personalize the game and its players thanks to immensely clever storytelling. And Anya Taylor-Joy is so magnetic that when she stares down that camera lens, her flinty glare threatens to cut right through it. Now, my wife once again discovered this by accident. I'd seen a couple of reviews that were a bit mixed, and I was going to check it out and check it out. But from the first 30 seconds of this seven-parter, absolutely sucked in. And it's from writer and director Scott Frank, who did Logan, and it's based on Walter Tevis's unflinching 1983 novel, The Queen's Gambit, which is really about a taciturn orphan whose analytical brain reveals her to be a lethal chess prodigy. Now, it almost becomes a bit of an Alice in Wonderland story, except the heroine is an unsettling orphan playing chess on her ceiling through a drugged fog. Drugs given to her at the orphanage back in the days before they outlawed the drugs, but by that time it was too late and she was a bit hooked. Everyone in this is astonishing, absolutely astonishing. And to sit down and watch this girl grow from nine-year-old in an orphanage after her mom is killed to the cocky prodigy to boom is just an astonishing journey, absolutely astonishing journey. And one of the great things is that it gives all the actors and actresses the room to really tap into the twin veins of Beth's fury and longing, and it's the best kind of Bildungsroman, as our amazing reviewer Carolyn Framke would say. I couldn't have said it better. She, by the way, this lady is an amazing writer um, on the other side of the political fence, but I don't care because I just love her writing and reviews, and I just uh, couldn't have done it better, so just wanted to share it with you. Amazing. Now, something you're going to hear from the horse's mouth the Outpost. The Outpost is a film from Rod Lurie. Rod Lurie did a couple of, he used to be a film critic, and then he had a couple of films that really didn't go where, including The Contender with Joan Allen, which really could have done well. And uh, it uh, debuted right around 9-11, and um, you know, it was lost in everything about 9-11. And then The Outpost this last year was going to debut at uh, Sundance and I'm sorry, uh, South by Southwest. And then you had, um, you know, COVID, Wu flu, I'm on a Wu flu, silent, deadly virus come in and wipe everything out. So this guy has been a bit death cursed as a, as a filmmaker. 
and um, a little bit cursed in life too. He he lost his boy um, from um, a sudden a sudden event, which is very sad, which I relate to having lost my son Chris a year ago suddenly out of the blue. But he has crafted the most amazing war movie that I've seen since. I'd have to say Zero Dark Thirty. And in many ways, it's it's even better. And Zero Dark Thirty, as you know, won the Best Film and Best Director Award for Catherine Bigelow. The Outpost is about this horrible, fucked-up, last-ditch outpost in Afghanistan that the Army had decided to decommission and, and take out and take everybody home. But these guys didn't know that it was going to be taken out. And they didn't know that, other than a few, that by being taken out, the U.S. Army decided to not spend any more money shoring it up and you know, giving them enough weapons and stuff like that. So really abandoned. And a book came out from Jake Tapper. I hate to say it, but the CNN analyst. I know I just despise CNN. It is absolute a waste of space. You can't call yourself a journalist really there. But Jake Tapper, I got to say, can be an even-handed journalist. I know he gives the president so much crap, but he gave Obama a lot of crap too. So he gives it around pretty equally. And he wrote a book that cannot be ignored. And it was adapted for The Outpost. Now, it was also adapted by Eric Johnson and... Um, Paul Tamsay, and they wrote The Fighter. Who didn't love The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale? And also Patriot's Day, another Mark Wahlberg film about the Boston Marathon bombing. So these guys are superstars and collaborated with Jack Ta Jake Tapper. And The Outpost shows the last days of literally this outpost. Uh, Orlando Bloom is in it and um, Scott Eastwood. It is the most immersive war movie I've seen in years. And there's, there's not a happy ending, but uh, there never is in war. But there's so much inspiration and uplifting moments in it. And I literally came apart at the end of the film. I, I couldn't move outside of my tears for about 15 minutes. I'm, I'm not scared to admit that. I'm, I'm a big sook. I cry at everything. Um, but... Uh, I highly recommend it. It's not for everyone. It's violent, but it's violent and war movie violent. There's no gratuitous violence, but it's riveting. And see it on the biggest screen you can find in your house. And it needs to be up loud. And you need to watch every second of it. Um, so go to the bathroom beforehand. Have your sandwich beforehand. Don't stop and pause the film. See it from Go the Woe. And stay for the credits and the after credits. You will be, I think, astonished. And you'll also see quite close and in firsthand what soldiers go through or have gone through in Afghanistan. And like they say, freedom isn't free. Someone had to pay for it. And a lot of people paid for it. Um, amazing film. Amazing film. And not overwhelming patriotism or... Uh, you know, hyperbole or anything like that. I'm I'm still buzzing off the film days later. Now, while we're still a little bit on entertainment, one last thing. The second book in American 
on record from rock star and writer G. Brown is out. And it also features an amazing picture of Armdorf featuring yours truly as Donner Vixen, the world's greatest guitarist. So check that out in the snow in the show notes. One sad allusion to that is um our former very close friend and, and keyboardist and composer back in the day who was uh the keyboard man for Tropos um, and auditioned for Armdorf and New World Mutants before we ended up with uh, Louie Louie, but remained very good friends with uh, Dan Magoon. Dan Magoon passed at age 64 just the uh, past week. So God bless him and his brother Dan, who was a guitarist for Tropos and uh, his family. Big, big loss. Big, big memories from a guy that composed thousands and thousands of songs, knew everything in his head, um, an absolute legend. And uh, also, something to be looking for on the horizon, just saw that Todd Haynes, the director, is doing a documentary on the Velvet Underground, the Lou Reed vehicle that, um, with Andy Warhol, defined the 60s. And that should be absolutely awesome, awesome. And last but not least, if you haven't seen Trial of the Chicago 7, which is on Netflix, um, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, the West Wing, the social network um, screenwriter, the uh, playwright for the rebooted The Kill a Mockingbird that was on Broadway. And uh, he also had his first directorial feature with Molly's Game uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, which uh, is about the uh, famous Molly, the uh, poker game organizer who uh, almost went to federal prison for all the people she was exposing. It's uh, based on a true story, and that that was a pretty good debut, but it didn't really get him the notice that he needed as a director. This, Chicago 7, with Sasha Baron Cohen, and Eddie Redmayne as Tom Hayden. Uh, Shasha Baron Cohen had played Abby Hoffman and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Yada Abdul-Mateen II as Bobby Seale and Jeremy Strong as Jer- Jerry Rubin. Unbelievable. Mark Rylance, one of the greatest, most underrated actors of our time, as William Kunstler. Frank Langella, he must be 80 years old, as the meanest motherfucking judge ever, Julius Hoffman. Michael Keaton as Ramsey Clark. Unbelievable cast of the true story of the 1968 Democratic National Convention riots. And uh, it's timely, a bit of the zeitgeist of what's going on right now, except that um, the police are the good guys now, and the police were the bad guys back then. But um, it's about justice and injustice, and it's a must-watch. And all seven of the key cast are being nominated or going for nominations as best supporting cast for the upcoming Oscar season, which is quite, quite unique the way it's been. The love is being shared. So by the time you hear this, there will only be days left before the U.S. presidential election. If you haven't made up your mind by now, I'd be a bit surprised if you have made up your mind. I hope you voted regardless. And uh, we'll be talking next week about the outcome. And uh, if I'm going to be happy or if I'm going to absolutely go 
mental, the way I've been going mental at the press. And absolutely freak out on Joe Biden and lies cover up, uh, especially with um, Sun Hunter's computer, which is called an alleged computer. No, it's a real computer. And the alleged emails, no, they're real emails and everything else that they're doing for this protection racket because of their their hatred for the president. And um, I couldn't let the elephant in the room go past. So we'll see what happens. But on the Hunter Biden computer saga, I couldn't not pass up the lighter note of it because all the emails that he had that people saying weren't his emails, but the recipient of his emails and correspondent Tony Bobolinsky said are real, a decorated war veteran, are real. I was just thinking if Tony Bobolinsky was a friend of mine and I fell in love with him and we had a same-sex marriage and I'm not into that and I don't think he's into that, but if we did and our names merged, then I'd be Bobby Galinsky, Bobolinsky. And I just couldn't resist that because that would be the best sports minutia name to pull out in a quiz in history. And see, you can turn anything into something light. And speaking of light, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So get all those truths out there. Get all those lies uncovered. And uh, I'll make my prediction. Uh, it'll be... President Trump getting reelected. I think it's going to be a bit of a landslide. I could be wrong, but with all those garden signs saying Trump, Pence across the U.S., I think I'm going to ignore the polls and go with the gut feeling. I know there's people that uh, didn't vote for him in 2016 that didn't want him elected that are now praying he does get reelected. So regardless, we'll still be friends however it all comes out. So we're going to take you out with some chills here from mark hendrick's song one day we'll see you in the light next week love you a bunch enjoy this thank you so much please subscribe enjoy
This will be gone